You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Let me invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. If this is your first time here with us this morning, we've been working verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And this morning we find ourselves in Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 17. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Let me read God's word for us. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, learning to walk in wisdom is a lot like training for war. You know, a soldier goes to boot camp And at boot camp, you get your training exercises, you get fit, you have exercises and combat drills, all in efforts for the, the, the drill sergeant and those responsible for training to help develop the instincts of the soldier for what might await them in the unexpected challenges of the battlefield. So you can train a, a soldier how to shoot a gun, how to rehearse military maneuvers, and to provide proven tactics and strategy. But when you get to the war zone, it's complex. So it is with Christians who seek to walk day by day in wisdom. You know, the Proverbs in the Old Testament give us the instruction of wisdom, the boot camp, if you will, teaching us that the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so the book of of Proverbs provides that practical boot camp-like instruction. Here are the general principles of what a wise life looks like in the fear of the Lord. But those principles have to be applied in the, the messiness of our ordinary lives. And each of us have different lives in this complex and fallen world. So if Proverbs is the, the boot camp of wisdom, Ecclesiastes is the battlefield. So the preacher laments in Ecclesiastes chapter one, you might remember from last fall, for in much wisdom, there is much vexation. So our world is is vexing. And so the wisdom that we need is is not just a mere knowledge, not just wise principles, but we have to learn how to apply those principles to the messiness of our lives, to learn how to do what is good, what is right, what is pleasing to the Lord in the complex situations that you will find yourself in tomorrow morning when you wake up. So Paul points us back to the wisdom tradition here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. He describes the the difficulty of walking as light in a darkened world. You might remember what he said last week when we were in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. You can look at it in your Bible. Paul tells us as we live as light in a darkened world, we have to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes it's hard to discern what pleases the Lord in our given situation. And so as God's children, redeemed by the blood of Christ, We must live holy lives set apart and distinct 
But walking in that wisdom requires the ongoing application of the gospel to the most ordinary and seemingly mundane aspects of our lives. And so in this second half of Ephesians, we have seen over and over again that Paul is connecting the glorious truths of the gospel of what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus, redeemed by his blood, and what that has to do with the most routine aspects of our lives. So hence his favorite word that we've seen over and over again in Ephesians, walk, right? Walk. And so Paul is helping us ask the question and answer the question, how do we walk wisely. We know we need to walk in holiness. We need to walk in a manner worthy, but how do we have the wisdom to know how to live holy lives day by day in a way that pleases the Lord? So from our text, we're going to discern this morning three instructions from Paul about how we walk in wisdom as God's people. First, we're going to see that we must watch our walk. We need to watch over our walk. Look at it carefully. Secondly, we will see that we must redeem the time that we have each day for God's glory. And then thirdly, we will strive then to see how do we understand the will of the Lord for our individual lives. So that's our plan this morning. Let's first think through watching over your walk. We see this in verse 15 of the text. Paul urges the Ephesians, look what he says, to look carefully, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, the Ephesian church was a small, minuscule minority in their pagan city and their pagan culture. The the clarity of the gospel, and that's why Paul is so adamant about emphasizing their holiness throughout this letter in light of the gospel, is that the gospel would be clear through the contrasting lives of the Ephesians from their culture. As one commentator put it, F.F. Bruce, he says, the reputation of the gospel is bound up with the Ephesians' public behavior. So for the gospel to be clear as they share it and as they live it out, their lives must be lived in holiness. So why is our manner of life so important as God's people? Why must we live separate and holy lives in Christ Jesus? But here's the key. Our holy church, a holy church that lives out the gospel, accentuates the power of the gospel while a defiled church sullied with sin obscures the power of the gospel to the lost and dying world. So if the Ephesians are going to reach their neighbors with the gospel, their morally distinct lives were necessary, essential for them to be effective witnesses for King Jesus. And this is an important lesson for us, church. Why is holiness so important? Why have we spent so many weeks talking about our personal holiness and the holiness of Christ's church? It's because holiness is a vital part of Great Commission work. And so Paul stresses that the Ephesians must look carefully how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise. We find another imperative in verse 15. The second half of Ephesians is chock full of them with the word look, the command, behold, look. Uh, 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 Paul charges them to look. He commands them to examine the conduct of their lives as he calls them to ethical behavior in light of the gospel. So if we want to live wisely, if you want to wake up tomorrow and live a wise life that honors the Lord, then we have to examine regularly the conduct of our lives. 
We have to look carefully at our way of life to ensure that the way you live and the way I live, that it's matching up with the wisdom that God has revealed by his word. We have to practice self-examination or watchfulness. Watchfulness is a term that we really don't use that frequently anymore. I think it's one that we need to make a comeback with. But the scriptures repeatedly call us to watch over our soul. It's all over the place, just as Paul does here. Look carefully, watch carefully your soul. Paul writes to the Corinthians, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Similarly, he tells the Galatians, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Or Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. So as instructed, we need to take regular times by which we as Christians examine the conduct of our lives, take an audit, if you will, of your day, and examine ways in which I might be going astray into foolishness. The old Puritans used to talk about this spiritual discipline all the time, the discipline of watchfulness. In his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, Tomic Brooks gives a, a definition Here's what he states. He says that watchfulness includes a waking, a rousing up of the soul. It is a continual and careful observing of our hearts and ways and all the turnings of our lives that we still keep close to God and his word. And every Christian needs to engage in this discipline. You need to do so every day. This, there needs to be this continual reflection and examination of our lives, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work of probing us, to expose areas of sin and foolishness that need to be repentive of. You see, watchfulness is like excavating your soul, uncovering patterns of sin and foolishness that demand change in light of the gospel but it's hard to, I mean, Thomas Brooks is great, but it's hard to rival the theological precision of the prince of the Puritans named John Owen in his definition of watchfulness. Here's how he defines it. He says, watchfulness is a universal carefulness and diligence exercising itself in and by all the ways and means prescribed by God over our hearts and ways, the baits and methods of Satan, the occasion and advantages of sin in the world, that we be not entangled. So, so watchfulness looks carefully then how you walk. Just exactly what Paul is telling us here from Ephesians chapter five, that you must be an ardent student of yourself, of your life, and of your behavior. And you need to ask yourself regularly, am I spiritually healthy? How would you answer that question right now if you asked yourself? And you need to look at your ways, your conduct, how you've been living your life. If you have a short fuse with your children, you've been sleeping in a little too long, if you're making extra trips to the refrigerator, do you find yourself numbing your brain increasingly so with, with video feeds? Such patterns of behavior should alarm us and cause us to go to prayer because it may indicate that something has gone awry in our hearts. The other week, I went to, to, by Pastor Jimmy's house to drop off a key to the building so he could make the men a, a breakfast. And he was out of town, so I walked up to the front door, and I was going to place the key under his mat. And so I went, and I did so. I put it under his mat. I went back to my car. I drove off. And then 15 seconds later, I got a text from Pastor Jimmy that said, I saw you on my camera. Thanks for the key. And I was a little creeped out. <laughs> but that's 
the thing that technology does nowadays, right? We can have home security system, home security cameras, where your phone can alert you and notify you when your camera detects movement outside of your house. And similarly, spiritual watchfulness is the same sort of thing. Spiritual watchfulness is this monitoring of our lives to look for unusual behavior in our lives that may alert us to potential threats in our lives. Like our home security system, sometimes it's just a squirrel, a false alarm, but other times it may notify you of the danger of an intruder that you need to know about immediately and deal with. You see, a watchful Christian regularly lays his soul bare before God for the Holy Spirit's inspection. You can do this every day in your daily time with the Lord, which I certainly hope that you have in word and prayer, or make it a weekly habit. Go on Saturday mornings and grab a notebook, go to a coffee shop or go on your front porch and journal your thoughts before the Lord, examining the various aspects of your lives, of your spiritual practices. Examine, how did I do my time with the word this week? Well, you know, I really wasn't in the scriptures as much as I need to be. Maybe I need to make some adjustments here. Or, or my family life. How are things going with my family, with my relationship with my spouse, with my, with my children? Or what about my work responsibilities or my physical health? We're doing an audit, an examination before the Lord in the spirit of prayer, allowing the spirit of God to do his work of exposing sin and helping us to walk wisely. And so you might ask yourself important questions. Am I walking wisely in all the areas of my life? Am I drifting in any way, becoming negligent? Does the distinctiveness of holiness, does it mark my life? Does it define it? Where do I need to make adjustments in this next week? What sins am I unwittingly committing by simply not paying attention? So watchfulness is not just a private discipline, although it's one I commend for you. Watchfulness is also a corporate discipline, one given for the church to do for one another. We see this again, over and over again in the scriptures. The, the congregation must submit to its leaders because the elders, why, Hebrew says, are keeping watch over your souls. But it's not just the elders, but it's every member in the church that's called to give this sort of watchful ministry to one another. Our covenant states that we have committed before God to, you remember it, I pray, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. You are the security camera system for the lives of your brothers and sisters in this church. We are responsible to help alert each other, perhaps dangerous anomalies we see in each other's spiritual lives, not as an act of judgment upon them, but as an act of spiritual love and care as a work of the Holy Spirit to alert them of spiritual dangers. And it's this corporate watchfulness that Paul actually specifically has in mind here in verse 15. The verbs are in the plural form. He says, to put it, maybe to translate it into the, the Wilson translation, y'all look carefully then how y'all work, <laughs> y'all walk. You know, the command here he's given is in the plural. It's, it's a command for every, every member of the church in the church of Ephesus to be watchful over every other member in the church. Right? Discipleship is really just simply helping one another walk in wisdom. That's really what it is. We want to help each other walk, not as, not as unwise, but as wise. So the loving ministry of discipleship includes warning, admonishment, correction. And when we receive these gifts from one another, it is a gift from the Lord for our spiritual good. 
Church, let me ask you, are you giving this ministry to one another? That when you see another member in the church in spiritual danger, do you lovingly alert them and notify them? When we see another brother in the church or sister in the church walking foolishly, do you, do you urge them to walk in wisdom? Are you being watchful over one another, even as you are striving to be vigilant over your own soul? Perhaps a more tough question then is not, are you giving this sort of ministry, but are you receiving this sort of ministry from one another? Do you have the humility to hear the warning of a brother and sister who comes and brings it to you? Are you teachable? Do you receive correction as a gift from God, which is what it is? Or in your pride, do you ignore the sirens of those around you for your spiritual peril? You see, if we want to walk wisely in holiness for the glory of God, we have to pay attention. We need to watch. We need to look carefully. And there is a private component to this, watchfully in our own engagement of the means of grace and the spiritual practices, but we also are called to do this communally for one another. And we need one another if we hope to walk wisely. And if we don't regularly examine our ways, what happens is slowly but surely begin to drift into foolishness. But in addition, Paul says, to looking at our ways, paying attention, beholding, being watchful, walking in wisdom also means, secondly, that we must redeem the time. Redeem the time in verse 16. You know, in ancient Athens, there was a statue called Opportunity. And the sculpture was a bit strange. It featured a a kind of bizarre-looking man with a sort of reverse mullet, if you know what I mean. Right? So mullet is typically business in the front, party in the back, right? But the opportunity, as it's designed in the sculptor, was the opposite of that. The Greek designed the man to have long flowing bangs, and he was completely bald, like me, right, in the back. And again, the, the statue was intended to be an object lesson for the Greeks, that you could grab a hold of opportunity as he approaches you, but once he's past you, there's nothing to grab a hold of. You know, time is a finite resource, isn't it? And as God's people, we have to learn to steward our time faithfully for the glory of God. And so part of walking in wisdom in this fallen world is that we have to discern how should I make the best use of every day that God gives me because once that day is gone, it's gone, it's gone. An ad in the newspaper once ran, lost, Yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes, no reward offered, for they are gone forever. Time wasted cannot be recovered. Time is a precious resource. And again, the scriptures repeatedly remind us of the brevity of our days. The apostle James does so. In our frailty, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then, poof, vanishes. I don't think James says poof, but I added that in there for you, right? (laughs) So we need to learn like Moses did, right? Remember his psalm in Psalm 90? Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So the verb making in our text from Ephesians 5 is the word for redeem. It's the same word. 
So Paul is, is telling the Ephesians, in fact, I think probably a better translation would be to redeem the time, to redeem the time. It is in these last days, in these evil days, as we await for the return of Christ, that people are occupying themselves with everything that is vain and sinful in their pursuits. But God's people, not walking as fools, but walking in wisdom, redeem the time that is left for God's purposes. The word redeem is an economic term, usually referencing to purchasing something in a marketplace. Each day is an investment opportunity for God's eternal purpose, to be redeemed, to be purchased, to be used. And it's interesting for the word time in our text today, Paul uses the word kairos instead of chronos in the Greek language. Kronos in the Greek refers to the flow or the passage of time. Kairos refers to a favorite moment in time, an opportunity. So I like the way one commentator put it. He said, Christians are to buy up the present opportunity each day, right? Each day is an opportunity to be used for God and for his glory and for his kingdom. And so we buy it up, we redeem it, we grab hold of the bangs of opportunity each day and we make it submit to the glory of God and his kingdom. That's what we do as walking in wisdom. You know, our calendars and our daily routines reveal quite a bit about whether we walk in wisdom or in foolishness. So let me ask you, are you seizing each day as an opportunity to do spiritual good? Are you treating each day of your life as a way for you to invest into the kingdom of God? Or are you fritting away the days, the weeks, the months in vain pursuits like a fool? You know, kids ages 8 to 18 now spend a massive 7.5 hours in front of the screen for entertainment, not including with the screens there at the school, but for entertainment each day. 4.5 hours of that is devoted to television. Over years, over a year, that total comes to 114 full days a year in front of a screen for entertainment. Now, the numbers aren't any better for adults, right? The average American spends over seven hours in front of a screen, two of which is devoted to social media. And with social media and streaming services and games and more, we all have an endless dis dis supply of distractions and frivolous things that can cause us to squander time rather than to redeem the time. Wisdom demands that we see each day as an opportunity for God's glory. And we want to use it to its maximum capacity to bring glory to God. Jonathan Edwards wrote a series of resolutions as a young man to function as a way of guiding principles for how he would conduct himself. And he wrote this 17th resolution right before his 20th birthday. He was 19 years old. And he wrote, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Wrote that at 19. But yet, instead of using our hours for God's purposes, using them profitably, we squander them away. Now, we can waste time in two different ways. We can waste time by being slothful or by being busybodies. You can waste it in both. 
Most of us tend to lean in one direction over another, but a few of us find ourselves jumping out of one ditch only to roll into the other. So the Proverbs repeatedly warn of slothfulness. The sluggard is a fool in the Proverbs who wastes his time and days in laziness. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it up to his mouth. A sluggard wastes his time by inactivity. He cares more about comfort than the needs of his neighbor. His ease rather than the kingdom of God. His leisure more than the glory of God. A lazy person neglects his soul and abstains from doing the good works which God has prepared in advance for him to do. And so in his selfishness, he treats time as a resource for his own enjoyment rather than a resource to redeem and to invest for holy purpose. So are you lazy, wasting the opportunity of time that God has given you? How how many hours a week are you in front of a screen, sitting in front of a television? Do you skip community group, just so you can enjoy a night on the couch? Do you hit the alarm on Sunday mornings and roll over in bed just to get that extra few hours of sleep? I'll go to church next week. How many hours a day do you spend scrolling through social media feeds or watching YouTube videos? You see, rest and leisure have an appropriate place in the Christian life. It's wise to prioritize proper rest. After all, the Lord gives us the Sabbath pattern in his created order. But the sluggard is selfish and wasteful because he overindulges in rest, often shrinking back from the responsibilities because of their laziness. And so the sluggard excretes the slime of wasted opportunity. But there's another way to foolishly use your time. One is by sloth. The other is by occupying yourself with such pointless activity that has absolutely no eternal value. Paul tells us that we are to make the best use of the time, right? For some of us, the temptation is not to slothfulness, but to be busy bodies, occupying ourselves with so much pointless activity that we actually don't do what the Bible tells us we ought to be doing. So we live so frantically that we don't prioritize what would best glorify God. You see, wisdom means discerning the right thing the God-glorifying thing, the most God-glorifying thing in any moment of your day. So Paul warns the Thessalonians about idleness, and he rebukes those who walk in idleness, he says, not busy at work, but busy bodies. I find that fascinating. It's not that the Thessalonians were, were idle, meaning inactive, but rather they were inactive with vain pursuits, meddling in the affairs of others rather than actually doing productive work. So you can be busy, yet idle. You can have a full schedule and yet be a fool when it comes to the use of your time. We wear busyness in our culture like a badge of honor. Perhaps even this morning, maybe someone approached you for conversation with a cup of coffee in their hands, and, you know, we ask each other, how have things been this week? If you're like me, perhaps you responded, Busy, busy, busy. Our our wholesale culture has this way of exposing the self-reliance that we have. We conflate busyness with importance. And so thus our frantic schedule appeals to our pride. 
as a measurable scale of my importance and my significance. Look how busy I am. And so we might grumble and complain to others about how busy we are. If you're like me, you secretly love it because it appeals to the sinful desire that I have to exalt myself over others. So while we might lament busyness to a friend, we inwardly rejoice that I've got another opportunity to exalt my importance over another as we find our value, not in the quality of the activity that we do, but in the sheer quantity of the things that we do. You see, busyness understood this way should not impress us. This sort of busyness can actually reveal a spiritual danger to our souls, and we should give ourselves over to watchfulness. The Lord will often thrust upon us hectic seasons of straining responsibilities. Those seasons come, and they're hard. But more often than not, if you're like me, I've found that my busyness is a symptom of a rebellious arrogance in my heart, an act of defiance against the Creator and the rejection of my creatureliness, making myself the sovereign, inexhaustible, and indispensable one, which is simply not true. So the busybody needs to learn how to redeem the time by using that time for that which is truly important. Wisdom means that we need to fill our calendars with biblical priorities. Wisdom also means that we remove unnecessary activity from our calendar to make room for a priority that God has called us to do by his word. Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, which is a great book I'd commend to you, he writes that the antidote to busyness of soul is not sloth and indifference. The antidote is rest, rhythm, death to pride, acceptance of our finitude, and trust in the providence of God. Sometimes obedience to God and making the best use of your time means doing less, not more. Many of you have an abundance of time, and the temptation is sloth. But many of you find your schedules overflowing, particularly those of you with busy careers and children and the home and hobbies and things to do. And if that's you, you need to have ongoing conversations regularly with your spouse or with other believers that you trust. And you need to, to ask those watchful sort of questions. You need to ask, what do I need to start doing that I'm not doing? What should I stop doing that I am doing? And how can we prioritize our family's calendar and the rhythms of our week for the spiritual health and flourishing, not only of our family, but for those around us? And how can we plan daily to maximize our gospel impact in our family, in our church, in our workplace, in our community? Well, those are vexing questions. Sometimes there's not clear answers for those questions, but we want to seek God's word and seek wisdom. In Lewis Carroll's book, Alice in Wonderland, the queen explains to Alice how things work in Wonderland. Sounds a lot like our generation. The queen says, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. And if you want to get somewhere, you have to run twice as fast. And that tends to be our motto, right? If we want to get somewhere, I got to work harder, get busier, do more. And when we feel so busy, though, that we begin to neglect our biblical priorities, that's the temptation we have. I got to go harder. I got to run faster. I got to push myself more. I got to squeeze the calendar more tightly. I got to push out all the margin. But wisdom recognizes that it's frequently in doing less that we are actually able to do more. None of these are easy questions to answer for our lives. All of our, us have different lives, different work schedules, different family demands. 
All of us have a variety of situations, but we all must go before the Lord in prayer and watchfulness with our Bible open, and we should seek to structure the rhythm of our lives around the priorities revealed in God's word. Each day must be redeemed, must make the best use of the time for God's glory. But you cannot manage your time effectively if you do not know how you should prioritize your time. We all instinctively have priorities in our life. We always prioritize that which is really important to us, don't we? Our jobs, our family, education, hobbies. But what Paul wants us to recognize in our text is that our spiritual lives should be oriented around the kingdom of God, and we should seek to advance the kingdom of God with daily seriousness and care. So Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So it starts by prioritizing the Lord each day. So let me help you out as you engage in watchfulness this week. If you're too busy to spend time with God each day, you're simply too busy. If you're too busy each day to prioritize your family and to spend some time in family devotions, you are simply too busy. And if you are simply too busy to prioritize the community of the church and to invest yourselves in encouraging and helping others disciple and grow or ministering the gospel to your lost neighbors, then you're just simply too busy. We have to devote ourselves to spiritual priorities. It requires wisdom. It requires a constant examination of our lives and calendars. And guess what? We are constantly recalibrating them based on God's priorities for our lives. I know I do, but how do we understand what do I do? What does my family do? What would God have me to do? How has God uniquely called me to live my unique life? It requires wisdom and it requires understanding the will of the Lord. And that leads to that third point this morning, understand the will of the Lord. If we will live wisely, we must be watchful, examining ourselves as we make the best use of the time for the glory of King Jesus. But if we walk in wisdom, we have to understand the will of the Lord for our lives, your individual life. Fools, we know, live in opposition to the will of the Lord. The wise walk in tandem with the will of the Lord. So how do we discern God's will for your life, for mine? Well, the first place to go, as you might imagine, is the scriptures, right? We go to the scriptures. We have to find our life in the scope of God's overarching plan throughout history. The Bible tells us that we all have sinned. We all have rebelled against the holy God. But because of our sin, God has poured out his wrath on us as a consequence of our sin. But in God's eternal plan of redemption, God has been gracious and he has determined to save us, redeeming sinners like you and me through the blood of his son. And so Jesus, being truly God and truly man, lays down his life for us as our substitute. He bears our sin. He bears our guilt. He bears our shame upon the cross. And not only did Jesus pay the penalty for our sin, but he rose again, triumphing on the third day, bringing victory over death. And so it is the will of God to save sinners as we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ, his only son. So if you want to hope to understand what God's will for your life is, you've got to first understand the gospel. 
You must first repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because it is only when we are found in Jesus that we can actually understand the purpose that God has prepared for us to do. And so that's my invitation to you. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're without God and without purpose, without hope in this world, be reminded you can only find purpose and meaning in your life if you find your life first in Christ. If you don't find your life in Christ, everything you do, no matter how productive you are with your time, all of it is vanity without Jesus. So let me urge you to turn from your sin this morning, to trust in Christ, to repent of your foolishness, cling to Jesus by faith, who is the wisdom of God. And once you are found in him, the Lord Jesus will begin to instruct you by his word for the purposes and plans that he has for your life. And God indeed does have an assignment for every one of us. Remember Ephesians 2? I've alluded to it a few times already. God has made us alive in Christ Jesus by his grace. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. And we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But understanding the will of God for our lives means first and foremost that we know the will of God for the cosmos. We realize that the ultimate end for which God has created the world is for his glory as he redeems the church by the blood of his son and restores this fallen world in the new creation. All of it for the glory of God. That's the purpose of everything. That's the purpose of God's people to understand how our lives fit within God's overarching plan to bring himself glory. So once we understand that, we can begin to have the scriptures begin to shape the priorities that ought to define our lives and our schedules. We should live for God's glory and his glory alone. It means that growing in holiness and godliness is one of my top priorities and responsibilities as a Christian. It means that the Great Commission, telling others about Jesus, is one of the ultimate aims of my life, whether it's at my job or with my hobbies. It means that helping others in my family and my church, and all those around me follow Jesus with their lives, that's why I'm here. It means that we want to withdraw from the enticements of this world. We don't want to give ourselves to the vanity that's distracting everyone else. And we renounce everything that might actually hinder our spiritual growth in Christ. It means that we long to commune with the God of glory and help others do the same. So once our hearts and minds are beginning to be shaped by God's word and God's ultimate purpose as revealed in the scriptures, we begin to strive to act in accordance to the aims given in his word. But we all have to seek the Lord's wisdom in terms of how to apply it in our lives. In understanding the will of the Lord of God here, Paul, Paul isn't just telling us to study scripture, although that's part of it but he's helping us to seek the Lord, seek the wisdom through prayer that comes from God that helps us discern how do I apply God's word to my day-to-day life. It means that if Jesus is alive and his kingdom is coming, we ask ourselves in prayer, what God should I do today? How do I glorify you, God, in my work? How can I be engaged in ministry for the spiritual good of others for your ultimate purpose in Christ? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves and through spirit and by the word help apply. You see, when it comes to understanding the will of God for your life and for my life, it's, it's helpful to distinguish between God's general will revealed by the scriptures 
and God's particular will for your individual life. You see, when it comes to the particular questions of God's will for your life, like where should I work? Who should I marry? How should I school my kids? How do I use my vacation time? How do I invest my retirement? All those particular questions that we have. It is God's general will revealed in the scriptures that should guide us as we devote ourselves to prayer and seek wise counsel from more mature believers in the specifics of the decision. So we ought not to try to discern the particulars of God's will for our lives by the whims of our impulses, but we do so by the intelligent, reasoned, and careful meditation on scripture after prayerfully seeking wise counsel from other believers. The world is a vexing place. It's hard to know how do we live wisely? How do we walk in wisdom? Learning to live wisely in holiness for the glory of God is a challenge. But in the boot camp of Redemption Church, I can only train you as a soldier to walk wisely by shaping your intuitions and your thinking with the word of God. But it is you who must go before the Lord and surround yourself with the wisdom of God's people and who must open up your Bibles and discern what does this mean for my daily life? And remember Paul's words, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Boot camp happens every Sunday morning. You go out into the battlefield of the world every day. In just a little bit, when you hear those words, go with the gospel, you will be released into the battlefield of this world as a Christian soldier to engage and combat against the kingdom of darkness. What's your strategy for the week? How will you walk this week? What is God's will for you tomorrow morning when you wake up? How will you redeem the time in your life for God's glory? in your life, in your family, in your work? How will you advance the kingdom of God at your pharmacy, on the tobacco field, at the hospital, at the school, at the office? How will you redeem the time of dinner with your family and your hobbies on the golf course, the pickleball racket, with your friends, with your neighbors? How will you walk in wisdom? How will you do so in a way that with your unique life and the unique gifts that God has given you, how will you walk in wisdom and glorify him, making the best use of the time for his glory? I can't answer all those questions for you. I'm not going to even try. But remember, you have the spirit of God dwelling within you. You have the word of God to guide you. And you have a church family to counsel you. And as you strive for answers to these questions, to understand what the will of the Lord is, remember Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess that in so many ways we lack wisdom but you are the all-wise God. We pray that you would help us to understand what your will for our individual lives is as they are founded and shaped by the priorities of your word. Lord, help us to examine carefully how we walk. Help us to make the best use of our days, to seize every opportunity for your glory. Lord, help us to understand what that means day by day as we strive to live in accordance with your will. Lord, for those of us who are Christian, we pray that you would help us to live with gospel priorities. But Lord, I do pray for those who are lost, who are aimless in life. 
Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them your ultimate purpose as you help them to see the beauty of the gospel. And Lord, that they might respond to your gracious gift of Jesus with repentance and faith this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.